Welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. The hosts are Matt Gardner, Walid Amar, and Pradeep Tasigi. Hello, everyone. Today, for this episode, we are going to talk about question generation. And we have as our guest today, Sudha Rao from Microsoft Research, where she's a senior researcher. She also wrote thesis on generating clarification questions. Uh, welcome to the program, Sudha. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. As I mentioned, we wanted to chat about question generation today. There's been a lot of work in answering questions and building systems for answering questions for various reasons, various purposes. But there's also been a lot of work in question generation. Why do we want to generate questions, Sudha? Can you give us a brief overview of this field? Sure. The area of question generation sort of started flourishing around 2010, where people were looking at automated methods to generate questions to assist reading comprehension style question generation. There are a lot of educational institutions that would require, given a paragraph, a question that has an answer in the given paragraph, just to assess a reader's understanding of the paragraph. So mainly like students in SAT exams, etc., where you're uh, seeing if a student can understand the paragraph well. So you want to automate this process of generating a question given a paragraph. That's one of the key motivations for this task. And around 2010, there was this workshop on question generation where the task was given a sentence or a paragraph and an answer span in the paragraph, generate a question that is answered by the span. Uh, so there have been several works from that point where people mainly used rule-based methods. So given a sentence like John loved Anne, generate a question like who loved Anne or who did John love, and so on. So based on the answer that you want, you generate a question. And later on in 2017, there were these neural network models for text generation. There were a lot of works on trying to generate questions using these neural network models, like the seek-to-seek models and so on, where, again, given some context and an answer span, you want to generate a question of some sort. So that's predominantly the area of question generation as such. And uh, parallelly, there have been some other works also going on that does not obey this exact definition of given an answer span, ask a question, but more open-endedly ask the kinds of questions that humans would ask in, say, dialogue setting or when you're given some sort of a context, you want to ask questions about missing information, or if you're given an image, you want to ask some natural questions about the image and so on. So that's the other sort of work on question generation. Yeah, right. So fundamentally, there seems to be a distinction in the two kinds of question generation research directions. There is some work which looks at question generation as an end in itself versus this other line of work which generates questions as a means to achieving something else. Can you tell us more about that distinction? Right. The first style is the kind of work that I just spoke where you're trying to look at, can I automate this process of generating questions given paragraphs? Or can I look at how good the generation models are at generating questions to evaluating language model for question generation and so on. The other is looking at can the question generation task help something else. So in there, there have been two works. One is trying to increase the amount of data for question answering task that has been done quite a lot, where what they try to look at is can I generate questions 
given paragraph using automated methods and then use these question-answer pairs to augment the data set that people use for the task of question answering. So that's been one work and there have been several works on those lines and they have observed improvements in the question answering task by augmenting the data in this fashion. And on the flip side, they've also seen improvements in the question generation models by using this question answering as a reward for improving the question generation task in itself. So that's the one line of work. And the other is the summarization task where what the particular paper does is use the question generation in a multitask setup while they are doing summarization. The intuition there is the question generation will ask questions about salient information in a given document and that fact can help the model to understand what are the salient information that I need to generate summary about. They did this with two side tasks, question generation, and the other one was entailment, where um, they had a model that tried to do all three tasks simultaneously in a multitask setup, the summarization, the entailment, and the question generation, and was learning to do all three things together, what they showed that each of the individual tasks are improved. I see. When you're trying to generate questions as a way of evaluating the natural language understanding capabilities of systems, what exactly is the task that's being solved there? So, for example, if you're generating questions just given answers, it can be thought of as conditional text generation, as you mentioned earlier, right? Are there any other semantic tasks that are being evaluated or semantic capabilities that are being evaluated there other than conditional text generation? Yeah, so the clarification question generation work that I have been sort of involved in, there it's not necessarily just looking at can I ask a question about something that's already there in the given context, but given a particular context, can I ask a question about something that's missing in the context? So, for example, if I'm listening to a talk, I would ask a question about something that I haven't understood just because the speaker hasn't given me enough information or enough context to understand what the talk is and so on. So the, as humans, we tend to ask those sorts of questions more in a natural scenario. So in the work that I've been involved in, what we looked at was given some textual context, can a model generate a question that points at missing information in a given context? Okay. So what you're saying is that the task set up here is that you just have some context and you're generating questions for it. You, you don't have an answer in mind. Right, exactly. Does it mean that this is necessarily a harder task than generating questions when you have answers in mind because you need to have a comprehensive understanding of what's actually given in the context, right, to figure out what's missing? Right, exactly. It's a bit difficult because you need to have more of a global view of things, right? So to understand what is a missing information in a given context, as humans, what we would do is we would think of previous contexts, like other contexts that we have experienced over time where certain information was present. And when we compare it with the current context that I have, I see that that information is missing. And that's why I know that that's important and I want to ask about it. The former approach where you know how you have an answer span, it's all about you know how you ask the question and you use a little bit of the context in the paragraph to understand what to ask, right? But whereas in the missing information question generation scenario, the knowledge that you would need to have is more global. 
And that's why I think it makes it a bit harder task. And also it becomes difficult, like you don't even know what's the right question. There could be multiple good questions that you could ask. When you have an answer span, you can evaluate it a little bit easier because you know that the generated question should be answered by the answer span. So it's a bit more defined. Whereas in the missing information scenario, it's less defined because there are several good questions that you could ask. I think it'd be helpful here to give some concrete examples to nail down what we're talking about. When we talk about given an answer, generate a question, a lot of the times people think of squad, as you've been talking about uh, in so far in this discussion. So what's going on there is you take a sentence from a paragraph, you replace part of it with a WH word, and it's relatively easy to model that. Maybe you do some slight paraphrasing, and that's that's basically the question generation task that people have done. It's also very related to the QASRL work that we've talked about on this podcast previously. But I can imagine lots of other scenarios where I have a paragraph and an answer and generating a question is much more complex. So for example, take Drop, which is a data set that has summaries of American football games. And I might have an answer that is two. And two might show up in a few places in the paragraph. It might show up nowhere in the paragraph. But there are questions that I can ask where the answer is two. And maybe the question I had in mind was, what's the difference between this person's longest and shortest field goals? Or how many times did a person do X? I I don't feel like it's really as constrained, even given an answer, as you were talking about earlier. It's just like when we have in mind the squad problem, which is, it turns out, a relatively simple predicate argument structure problem, that the question generation task is actually this simple. Does this make sense? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. You're right that most of the time when people think of questions, they think of squad, but the scenario that you just pointed out makes it much complicated because you have an explicit answer and there could be multiple occurrences of those answers. In that case, if there are multiple occurrences of that particular answer, you could still use the squad like models by trying to generate questions for all of these occurrences. That could be one way of looking at it. But if the answer is something that's not explicitly there in the context at all, if it's more abstract answer and you're trying to generate a question, then again, it becomes more difficult. Can you give a concrete example or two of what you mean by that? So in the missing information scenario that we looked at, one of the data sets was on Amazon, where given a product description, I want to ask a question about something that's missing in there. So for example, if somebody, if the product is a kitchen cookware set, then somebody could ask, what are the handles made up of, right? That could be some information that someone needs in order to decide whether they want to buy the product or not. So in that case, you would ask a question like, what are the handles made up of? And there would be some answer associated with that. So this is naturally available on Amazon websites. So if you've seen those websites, there are these product descriptions and there are these FAQs that people tend to ask over these descriptions, right? So what we did in one of our work is use this data to have triples of some context a question and an answer, and then try to see, given a new context, can the model generate a useful clarification question. So that's one concrete example. The other that we looked at was from Stack Exchange forums, where what we observed is a lot of times when people write a post about some issue that they are facing with, say, installing a software, etc., A lot of times if the original post is unclear, it goes unanswered for a long time. So in those cases, what happens is others 
come and ask a clarification question in the comment section of the post and the author of the post then goes back and edits the post adding that missing information right so if they forgot to mention what version of ubuntu they have then somebody would ask what version of ubuntu are you using and then they would go and update that post so again we used this edit history information to create a data set where there is some context which is the original post that somebody had written and then there is this clarification question that get asked in the comment section and then there is an answer which is this edit that somebody has made to the post now given this data set what we looked at is can a model try to generate such a useful question given a new post on stack exchange or other sort of question answering forums so those are the two scenarios that we looked at and beyond that i think there is other scenarios also like if there is a recipe website then people tend to ask some clarification questions right what at what temperature should i bake or what is the type of oil that you are using or something else. so there is a lot of source of such clarification questions out there and the work that i'm interested in is trying to look at can we have models that can generate such uh, clarification questions another interesting aspect which you hinted at about the difference between the two kinds of question generation is that not only is the answer not provided to the model during training time but also it seems like the target generated questions are actually questions written by humans who do not know the answer right so it seems like we're focusing on a different distribution of questions altogether Yeah that's a good point I I did not think of it that way but you're right I mean somebody who's asking the question doesn't know the answer here so in theory sort of look at the possible answers that you could generate and then use that information to see if this is a good question or not when the model is trying to think of what is a good question right Okay, let's talk about how we would train these models and what kinds of learning algorithms we would use. So for the case where we have the answers available to us and we are generating questions which generate those answers, it seems like many people have used simple seek to seek models, right? Can you give us more details on how you would go about it? Sure. One of the first works that uh, did this what they did is they used the context and the question as source and target and used the seek to seek models that have been predominantly used for machine translation like tasks to try to see given a lot of uh, context question pairs can i train a model to just optimize the maximum likelihood uh, training kind of model to see given a new context can i generate a question. So that was one of the first works and then what the subsequent works tried to do is this work didn't specifically make use of the answer span information so the subsequent works tried to incorporate that so in some way they said that okay this is the answer span in the context and try to pay attention to that more when you're trying to generate a question because you want to generate a question for that particular answer span so there were these answer focused question generation models that used the attention based mechanisms to do that they also used pointer generation models where you are trying to point at certain words in the source when you're trying to generate the target sequence also copy mechanism that's sort of similar on top of that there were subsequent works that used more other word feature based models like named entity recognizers and coreference resolutions on top of these basic word embeddings to try to see if that helps and the motivation of doing that was often times when for example you are trying to generate a question the wh word becomes really important right you what which why and this can be identified using 
NER information, for example. So if it's a person, if it's a location and so on. So these NER embeddings helped them to identify the question type better. The co-reference resolution was helpful when there was mentions of pronouns and there was an actual mention of that pronoun in the entity referred to by the pronoun in an earlier section of the paragraph, right? So doing an explicit co-reference resolution helped them generate more specific questions to that answer span. So there have been several work um, that sort of built on top of the seek-to-seek model. There's other work which tries to first identify the question type and then generate the question. So they explicitly focus on the answer span and generate the question type first and then use this question type into the second model that actually generated the question. So they, they looked at how can you use this question type information explicitly to generate better questions. So there have been several works on top of the basic seek-to-seek models. So to summarize that, would it be fair to say that these are essentially seek-to-seek cross-entropy kind of losses, which are augmented using this additional information coming from, say, a co-reference model or an entity type identification model or something, right? Right. And for your work in generating clarification questions, given that it's essentially a different learning problem, what kinds of learning algorithms did you use? Actually, in the previous work that uses reinforcement learning style reward approach, where they use this question answer reward as a way to guide a better question generation model. So it is not just MLE, but they use other sorts of reward to try to optimize uh, their learning algorithm. So there has been work beyond supervised learning in the question generation world. Now coming to the work that I have done on clarification questions. In the first work, what we did is we looked at the model that tried to rank a set of questions. So the task was given a context and given some candidate questions, rank these questions in the order of usefulness to the given context. So it was basically a ranking task instead of an actual question generation task. So for that, what we did is given a context, we first had to retrieve these set of candidate questions. So for that, what we used is a retrieval model, which the high level idea there is given a context, I will look for other contexts in my training data that are very similar to the given context and look at the questions that were paired with those contexts and those questions become my candidate questions. And then I'm going to have a model that tries to rank these candidate questions by their relevance or sort of usefulness to the given post. And to actually do that sort of ranking, we used a neural network models where the loss function was inspired by this decision theoretic network called expected value of perfect information. So a little bit on that, what EVPI or expected value of perfect information tries to give us is given a scenario and given that I can have multiple possible actions that I could take. What I'm going to look at is for each of the actions that I could take, what are the answers that I could get? So in my case, given a context and given a question that I could ask on this context, I'm going to look at what answers I would get. And by looking at what would be the utility of adding those answers to the given context, I'm going to define whether this is a good question or not by sort of looking at what answers it could generate and whether adding that answer to my given context increases the information of that particular context that I have. So that's the idea, which I think you were also mentioning before, where you want as a human, I don't know what answer I will get. So I will 
think of possible answers that I could get for this question and that would allow me to decide if this is a good question or not. So that was the framework that we used in order to rank a set of candidate questions that we had. So that was the first model. The second paper that we worked on was actually trying to generate the, such a clarification question given a context. So for this as well, we used the whole EVPI idea or the utility of the answer idea where what we did is given a context, we first trained a basic seek to seek model that would generate a question given a context and then what we did is given this question and the context we had a second seek to seek model that generated the answer to the particular question and then we looked at given the context that we had and this answer whether adding this answer to the original context increases the utility of uh, the given context if it does then I will say that this is a good question. So we also frame the learning in similar way, but now using seek-to-seek models. Can you tell us again how exactly you measured utility here? Sure. The utility was, in both cases, a neural network model again, where it was trained for a binary classification task, where the training data was given a context and given the true question that was paired with the context, I would label them as positive, and I would randomly sample other questions in my training data and label them negative, and the neural network model, given this samples of positive and negative context question pairs, would learn a model that would give me a value between 0 and 1, given a new context question pair. So that would be the utility model, which will take in the context question and also the answer. Sorry, I, I forgot to mention about that. So it takes in the context question and answer and tries to tell me if this is a good question answer pair for this context or not. So how is that any better than simply training a binary classifier? It is a binary classifier. So it's a feedforward neural network, which is a binary classifier giving me a value between 0 and 1. The only difference is I would use this information to guide my question generation model, if that is what you were asking. Right. How is this capturing the semantic nuances or whether it would capture the semantic nuances of the information contained in a question, right? I mean, if you're just training a binary classifier on whether this pair of context or this triplet of context question and answer is a triplet or not, then how would you even think about whether the information contained in the question is useful or not? Right. So I think the motivation was from this, the stack exchange data set that we had, where, you know, somebody edited the post to add that missing information, right? So you would say in that case, what happened is given the original context and this added information, this post became more complete or more clear than it was before. So that's the intuition that makes that particular answer a good answer to the given context. Now for the bad answers, we could do better than just randomly sampling, but that's what we did because we didn't have any other source of what are the other questions that we could ask. But you're right, we could definitely do better than just try to have positive and negative labels. So one thing that we did try to do is look at whether a question asked eventually led to the resolution of the post, because that would be the true definition of whether this is a good question and the answer increased the value of the original post or not, right? Because if the question led to a resolution of the post, you know that this was a good question that was asked. Right? So we tried to do that, but then we had very little labels at that level of whether this question or this post was resolved or not. So we couldn't use that. But there is at a high level, I think what I'm trying to say is there could be other ways of modeling this utility better. 
Yeah, I think it's great that you looked at real data and tried to build a system which could actually work on real noisy data. But then there are these limitations of this direction. The clarification question that you actually see in the data uh, is also dependent on what uh, the answer knows, right? Uh, there is a lot of this user-specific knowledge that cannot be modeled or is completely missing here, right? We can't really do anything about it, correct? Yeah, that's definitely true. Like there are so many different people who ask questions. So in the stack exchange scenario, we did try to use some sort of features of the users to say whether this was a question from an expert user or a non-expert user. Again, we couldn't get enough, like it, it reduced our data set too much if you were to restrict to only those posts where such sort of user attribute was available. But you could, in theory, try to use these kinds of attributes of the user to try to categorize them into expert questions or uh, novice questions and so on. Even on Amazon, there are people who have been answering questions for a long time, who have been asking questions for a long time, and they would sort of ask more specific questions or targeted questions as opposed to other users. So there are some user attributes that you could account for in the modeling. Okay. Now, going to the second paper you mentioned, actually uses a generator to generate questions, right? So can you tell us a bit more about the generative model itself there? Sure. So as I said, the idea was using seek-to-seek models at a lower level to generate the question given a context. And we also had an answer generator, which would generate an answer given a context and a question. Both these were seek-to-seek models trained using MLE objective function. Now, once you have the answer, the next part would be to understand whether this answer increases the utility of the original post or not. So for that, what we did is used reinforcement learning approach where we considered this utility as a reward and the utility module was trained offline. So you can imagine there was a binary classifier using feedforward neural network that just gives me a value between 0 and 1 given a context question and answer, right? So it was trained offline and you use this as a reward function to fine-tune the original question generator that you had using a reinforcement learning approach. Uh, More specifically, we used the Mixer model from Facebook where the idea was instead of moving to RL directly, you eventually move to RL from like supervised learning. So for your initial epochs, you would do supervised learning for say T minus two steps and only for the last two steps you would do reinforcement learning. So where the T is the length of your target sequence. And over epochs, you would do more of your reinforcement learning in your time steps and less of supervised learning and so on. So that was the mixer model that we used. And that's how we trained to optimize this utility function as a reward. And as a follow-up, what we did is instead of keeping this utility function constant or having just an offline model, what we tried to do is uh, look at can we also train that utility function along with the training of the question generator model. And to do that, we used a generative adversarial network model where we considered the question generator to be our generator and the utility calculator or the utility function to be our discriminator. And the high level idea there was, okay, you have a generator that will generate a question And to be able to say whether this is a good question or not, I will have a discriminator which knows 
So there are some real questions and there are some model generated questions and it will try to distinguish between the two. So it's like a game between the generator discriminator where the generator tries to fool the discriminator by trying to generate more real like questions in our case and the discriminator is trying to distinguish correctly between real questions and the model generated questions. So we use this uh, GAN approach to model the utility function into our generation. Just to clarify, is the answer generator conditioned on the generated question? Yes, it is conditioned on the generated question. Yeah. We never looked at the true answer as such. We used the true answers only for pre-training our answer generator. But when we okay. moved to the fine-tuning using GAN models, we always looked at generated answers. I see. Okay. So let's talk about evaluation. We are actually generating things here and generative models evaluation is generally tricky. So how did you evaluate these generated questions and answers? Sure. For the squad-like question generation, since it's a generation model, predominantly the metrics people use is like blue meteor from the machine translation world. So that's the one kind of automatic metric that we used where you have a predicted sequence and you have multiple references and you're trying to see if it's a good match between these multiple references. So that's one metric that we used, automatic metric. And the other we looked at was diversity, which was sort of important in our case and also in squad question generation, I, I would say, where what happens if you use these MLE models, they tend to generate questions very often. So in the Amazon scenario, we often saw these MLE models generate questions like, uh, what are the dimensions? Is this product from China? And so on, because it's trying to optimize for like the maximum likelihood estimation. So that kind of issue is observed when you use seek-to-seek -seek models using just the MLE supervised learning objectives. So diversity, what it tries to measure is how diverse is your generated question. So it looks at trigram diversity, bigram diversity, and so on. So number of unique trigram bigrams you get in your uh, sort of output over the entire test set, right? So that's trying to look at how diverse are your set of questions. So those are the three automatic metrics that we used. And I would say in our case, we found the human-based evaluation to be more useful than these automatic metrics, more so because unlike the squad question generation, where you know you're trying to generate a question for a particular answer span, so the set of questions is limited. It's more about how you frame the question, right? It's all about trying to ask for a particular thing. Whereas in our scenario where you're trying to ask questions for missing information, there could be multiple good questions. So it's hard to evaluate the model just based on a few set of references that you have, right? So that's why we found human-based evaluation to be more useful, where uh, what we did is, given a context and a generated question, we asked people to rate these generated questions on different criteria. There were five criteria that we used. One was fluency, which looked at how fluent the generated questions are. The second was relevancy, whether it's relevant to the given context. The third was whether it's seeking new information. This is important because oftentimes we observe that the generated questions ask for something that's already present in the context. This makes it relevant, makes it fluent, but not useful, right? So that's why we explicitly asked whether it's asking for new information. The fourth thing that we looked at was whether the questions are specific to the context 
or generic right to, to look at whether it's generate a question like what are the dimensions that is sort of a good question for almost any product i said most products so that's why you want to look at if it's asking something specific so what are the handles made up of would mean that this can be asked for only kitchen appliances and so on right so we asked them to rate for that and final question was usefulness so how useful would this question to be a potential buyer would this question help somebody who's trying to decide whether to buy this product or not so we evaluated the generated questions for these nuances and what we found that doing this kind of evaluation helps us distinguish generated questions better in terms of their quality. Okay. And according to these metrics, how well were your systems doing? What we found is for fluency and relevancy, most of our models were similar to the baseline models that we looked. So the baselines in our case were some retrieval models and some generation models using supervised learning and so on. We found that all these models fair sort of equally when it comes to relevancy and fluency when it comes to seeking new information we actually found the retrieval models to be the best because they are very diverse they are asking for like new things because you're trying to retrieve from a set of questions in terms of usefulness and specificity we found our proposed model to be outperforming all the baselines uh, where we found our models to be asking questions that are more specific, that are useful to a potential buyer and so on. So I guess this idea of trying to look at what answers you would generate and incorporate that to guide your generation helps in this specificity and usefulness criteria. And how well did the reference questions do? The reference questions were much better in compared to any of our models. For example, if the score was between 1 to 5, the reference questions were more like 4.5 and so on when it comes to specificity, whereas our models were at 3.8 and 3.7. But one thing that we observed is the reference questions were not as good when it comes to usefulness. Because what happened is the reference questions oftentimes were specific to the user. So they would ask whether this product could be shipped to this PIN code or whether this would fit in this area of my kitchen space, right? People tend to ask a lot of questions that are specific to themselves. Now, the specificity here is not with respect to the context, but with respect to the user. And that becomes less useful in general to the rest of the community, I would say. I guess that highlights what to me is the ill-posed nature of this problem like if I'm trying to model what a person would ask about a product, I need to know information about specific users. Right. It's hard to wrap your head around like what's the right thing to do here? Is is this a good metric or not? Because you're right. If what I want to do is improve my product description, mm -hmm. then I want something that's going to be generally useful to a bunch of people who see the description. But if what I want to do is help individual users get what they need out of it, that's kind of at odds. There are definitely people who need very specific information. And so, like, how do you model this variance? It's hard. You're absolutely right. And that's one of the sort of the criticism I got in my thesis work, etc., where there is no end goal. We need to define where, what the end goal is. So in the Stack Exchange scenario, we said that the end goal was exactly what you said, right? Somebody is writing a post. And a scenario we imagined is as somebody is writing the post, you can imagine there is this interface that pops these questions in the side that lets you write a more complete post. So that was one of the goals that we had in mind again this sort of missing information that you would require depends on the user for some user for an expert user 
maybe some information is not necessary for a newbie certain other information is more necessary so if we could model the user goal also when we are trying to generate a question this could be super useful i would say so that's what we don't do at this point yeah i agree that when i saw that end goal description in your paper i was like yes that's something i can definitely buy into it, it seems like it would be really helpful but on the other hand it's also seems very very hard i manage a lot of issues on github in allen nlp and some of them are like i don't need more information than what they're telling me because their issue is of a particular type, and I don't need their operating system or their system environment or whatever. And other issues are very much dependent on their execution environment or whatever. And so, like, you need more detail. But how do you know the difference? How do you get a machine to know that difference, like, to suggest what things are, will be necessary? It seems really, really hard. Yeah, really hard, unless the machine has additional information about the environment of the users. Say, it's more difficult in the scenario that you explain, but maybe you're writing a Word document and you need help with something, right? So the Word document environment already knows what you're trying to write, what you're trying to achieve, and there maybe it's easier to model what is the user goal because you have some sort of abstract goal of this is the document that somebody is trying to finish or edit and so on. So if we could get some sort of user environment information and if you could have a way of modeling it, then you could incorporate this user goal. Okay, yeah. Going back to some of the empirical observations you made, comparing your proposed approach to baselines, what do you think are the next steps at a high level in terms of building better models for, say, generating clarification questions for the data sets that you looked at? Right. I guess one of the things that I've been trying to think about is this modeling the user end goal in some way, you know, having a scenario where you know what the end goal is. So one of the data that I'm looking at is recipes where you have some sort of an end goal of completing this dish or, you know, making this dish. So you know what is the end goal? You know, you have a recipe and you're trying to replicate or, you know, you're, you're trying to make this dish by following these steps. And say from somewhere you have a user attribute of some sort, you know, they are vegetarians, they like these vegetables more, or they use these kinds of oils often and all, then can you use that user attribute in some way to generate a more user-specific question of some sort? So that's one thing that I've been thinking about. The other is the work that we did recently was controlling the level of specificity of the generated questions. So what we looked at is, can we have a model where given a context and given a level of specificity, so I say whether I want a generic question or, or a specific question, can a model generate a question at that level of specificity? So this could be sort of vaguely useful in the sense of when you are, say, in a product description scenario, when you have just started writing a product description, you want more generic questions, you want more high-level questions, whereas as you are towards the finishing ends of your product description, you would want a more specific question. So sort of motivated by that fact, we looked at can we control the level of specificity. So that's one work that we looked at. The other work that we have been doing right now is sort of interesting application of question generation. So the hypothesis there that we're trying to test is can missing information help identify misinformation? So there's a lot of work on identifying whether some news article is fake or real. So there's this need of trying to identify misinformation out there, right? So what we want to test for is if an article 
is missing some important information, whether that signals that this could be misinformation. And the reason for doing this is what we observed is oftentimes uh, these fake news articles try to be ambiguous because they want to slip through the fact-checking. Right. So if they explicitly add some information, then the fact checking systems can sort of identify and say this is incorrect and so on. But if they try to be ambiguous, then there is less danger of, you know, being caught by the fact checking system. So they try to be very ambiguous. So they would say a reporter said something, a judge said something, never mentioning the source of the reporter, never mentioning where the judge is from. So what we looked at is given news articles, can we automatically generate questions that point at some missing information in the article. And the hope is now for a reader, if along with the article, if I show some of these questions, then the reader can make a decision for themselves whether they want to fully trust this article or not based on these are the information that could be missing in the given article. That sounds more like identification of missing information problem. I mean, you don't really have to generate questions for it, right? Sure, you don't have to. But question is just a way of phrasing the missing information. And I think in, in generally, I'm sort of interested in looking for missing information. I feel that question generation is just a way of sort of asking for that missing information. The task of actually phrasing a question, I believe, is not a difficult task. What is more difficult is knowing what to ask about. And that's the missing information setting, yeah. Great. One more question I had about your evaluation setup was that you used human evaluation for figuring out whether the generated question is useful or not, whether it's informative or whether it's asking for the right information or not, right? Can we even think about automating that process at all? It's challenging. I've been trying to think of ways to do that, but I don't have a concrete answer. For the squad-like scenario, I've seen people use other tasks as a way of guiding or evaluating, like, this is a good question if it can be answered well by this question answering model, right? That's the kind of evaluation framework that people have been trying to look at. But in the missing information scenario, it's, it's even more difficult. I think as Matt was saying, you have to know what the end goal of the user is, to understand whether it's a good question or not. So for now, I think we will have to rely on human evaluation for most part. And did you think it was a problem? Was human evaluation fairly doable? It's definitely hard. We had to annotate every generated question with at least five annotators to be able to get some sort of agreement between them. Also, it was difficult to define what you mean by specific, to define what you mean by usefulness, right? And we did a lot of back and forth in our pilot testing to define First, we just gave them a value to select from one to five. And I found that, that that to be very noisy because it's like how people judge what is five and one is very difficult when it comes to specificity. So we, then we concretely define those levels by saying, okay, this is a generic question if it can be asked for almost any product in this category of home and kitchen. It's a more specific question if this can be asked only on this product and a few other products in a few similar products and so on. So we had to explicitly define those levels. Likewise, for usefulness, we had to define is this useful only to this user who's asking or is this useful to multiple users who have been using Amazon and so on. So it is difficult to do human evaluation in this scenario because you need to sort of define what you mean by any of these criteria. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks a lot. Is there anything that you wanted to say that we didn't ask you? 
I guess in general, the other thing that I'm interested in right now is using one of these pre-trained big models and trying to see if we can generalize beyond domain. So most of the work that I've done before is specific domain like question Stack Exchange or Amazon and so on. So uh, one other thing that I'm, I'm looking into right now is can we use these big models, which are very good language models, and try to fine-tune them on questions data from varied domains and have a model that knows how to ask a question very well and then use this utility information to guide it to know what to ask about. And that's like the missing information in our scenario. So I guess that's something that I'm interested in. Great. Thanks. This was a really fun chat. Thanks a lot for telling us about your work and also the overview of question generation in general. Thanks a lot, Sudha. Yeah, I had, I had a great time chatting as well. Thank you so much.